Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Derek Taylor, the voice of the Bombers. The CFL's team awards have been announced. We'll get through the Blue Bombers winners and how do they stack up against the rest of the league? Are we going to see some national winners at Grey Cup week? We'll find out. Plus, the World Series is set. Diamondbacks and Rangers. Who saw that coming? Not Jamie Benton's, but we'll talk about what that series is going to be like on the podcast. CFL Team Award Day, which gives a little bit of juice to the final week of the season that otherwise feels like we're just, can we get to the playoffs, please? Because all three games mean nothing in the standings. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Had Calgary not won last week or had Saskatchewan won last week, there would be at least some meaning for the Bombers' opponent in this one. But yes, three meaningless games, though all, I mean... Two of them are, are fairly well. Actually, you know what? They're all different, to tell you the truth. Um, Winnipeg and Calgary. Calgary's you know wants to be ready for a playoff game. Hamilton and Montreal play each other in the playoffs, so I can't imagine that you wouldn't see out of like an old school Madden football game in that one. Nobody's going to show off anything. And then Ottawa might actually try to go for it against Toronto. You know, one get you know get their fifth win of the season, but two keep Toronto from sixteen and two. A little something for Ottawa Red Blacks players to to ride during the off season. And Toronto, I don't think Chad Kelly's playing. I think we already know that, but he's played a lot down the stretch here for a team that's had everything wrapped up since mid-September. I don't know if that surprised you or not, but at the same time, you don't want to just not play for a month and a half before a playoff game, right? Yeah, and that was one of the points that Doug made when they decided to sit Chad Kelly for the game here in Winnipeg was it's it's his first year as a starter. Like every rep would be valuable. So how are you not having him play reps in these games? When you get to this final week, you totally, this becomes totally normalized and, and fine. And they've been spelling him off in games with Cameron Dukes, um, which is uh, to me more for saving the starter versus getting some reps for the backup. Because if Cameron Dukes is in there, Toronto's getting murdered in the playoffs. So whatever. It th- That part, it doesn't really matter to me. But yeah, Kelly's had a dynamite first season and, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens if he has to face that Montreal defense in the playoffs. He's handled it pretty well. Hamilton seems like the up-and-coming team in the playoffs, the one that could spoil the big three in my mind. So, yeah, um, we'll see what uh, what awaits them on November 11th. Before we get into the awards, I just want to touch on something Cameron Dukes did over the weekend, which was end Saskatchewan season and get Craig Dickinson into the unemployment line because he, he drove his team down the field for the game-winning touchdown, and Saskatchewan just... Uh, the meltdown complete they're done they lose seven in a row after the labor day classic jake Tolagala, the bloom came off the rose quickly there and, and if trevor harris doesn't get hurt early maybe the season goes a lot differently for the team that finished pretty much the exact same way they did last year but what do you think of what we saw from saskatchewan craig dickinson losing his job and then who might replace him yeah, I'm not surprised that, that Dickinson is out. I mean, his contract was up, and you saw what they did with the GM, Jeremy O'Day, is they, they re-signed him to a three-year deal. Would you, on the back end of this season, commit to Craig Dickinson for three more years? I think that would probably be a pretty tough ask with how the last couple seasons have gone, even though the two before that were pretty terrific. Um, so not surprised in that. To me, Saskatchewan's got to get a big name there. Like they've had declining attendance for a few years now. And Saskatchewan is, you know, we, we feel like we're the heart of the CFL. We've got the best fans in the league, that kind of thing. And they're, they're leaving you uh, not necessarily in droves, but not far off that. So I feel like 
they're they can't want to just bring in the next great next good coordinator i feel like they really have to get a, a wow name and one that, that just kind of sticks out for me and i have nothing to no reporting to back this up but scott milanovich has been flirting with the cfl over the last five years and he's been in hamilton uh for this season scott milanovich a guy who's run a couple of teams in this in this league uh I, to me that would make me go oh okay okay saskatchewan's in this for real okay they've and they went and got a a coach and an offensive mind. Uh, let's go. Uh, Zach Kalaris talks glowingly of his time with Milanovic. To me, would be the one. There's probably a half dozen other names you could think of, but to me, they really need to to blow your hair back just because of of where they are attendance wise and where the passion around the team should be. Just one other note: the coach gets fired, the GM gets a three year extension. To me, that didn't make a lot of sense. It seemed like a bit of scapegoating, but is that just, I guess, Craig Reynolds hitching his wagon to O'Day and saying, all right, it's you, buddy. Yeah, I, I, it didn't, uh, it didn't make a ton of sense at the time. I guess if I was trying to defend the move, I would say, hey, uh, my GM went out and got, got some really good players. We just happen to be befelled by injuries. If imagine if Trevor Harris was healthy this season, what this team couldn't could have been with the emergence of guys like Tevin Jones and Samuel Emelis, the second-year receiver, popping off the screen. Uh, the counter to that would be you left them with zero offensive line, and it's been more than three years in which you, the GM, who's a former offensive lineman, have been absolutely unable to find offensive linemen to protect your quarterbacks. So there's a, there's a little bit of uh, of both sides of this. I was I feel like maybe th- three year deals are their standard in Sask, but that was that was the one that got Ryder fans like furious, and it really did catch me off guard that uh, that Jo Jeremy O'Day is sticking around for three more seasons. All right, so the Blue Bomber and all the team award nominees were announced today and for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers we've been talking a lot about Zach versus Brady and it is Brady Oliveira named the most outstanding player unanimous for the most outstanding Canadian I mean this has been just an incredible season for him I reckon we're going to see him get to those milestone numbers of 1500 rushing yards and 2000 scrimmage yards before he sits out Friday but how much of this is Brady's been amazing and how much of this is it's been Zach the last couple of years let's give it to someone else I I fully believe that voter fatigue plays a massive part in this, and it's been all season long. Uh, and it's not that not the people who voted here in Winnipeg. It's the whole league has been. Well, it's not. He's not that good. It's not. No. No. It's just fine. He's a good player and on, on a great team and blah blah blah. And I just I saw voter fatigue coming because it is incredibly real. Zach Kalaris set a career high in passing yards this season through seventeen games, and oh by the way, he missed one and three quarters of those. Okay, well, his touchdown rate was almost 8%, which is a mark few guys get over 6%, and he's at 8%. That's an incredible number. He had, if you add up his interceptions and fumbles, he had fewer than last year. You go, okay, well, what's the problem? He had ten over 10 yards in attempt, and 10 is a crazy number that four guys have gotten to. One of them, of course, is Zach uh, in the last, what is it, decade in the Canadian Football League. And you go, what, what, what exactly was wrong with Zach's season? But people... To my perception, people seem to want to pick at threads of, well, there were two pick sixes in the game against Montreal. Sure, but they scored 47. So, I mean, could it really have been, can can two plays really negate 47 points that he led that offense to? 
Um, it, it was just you saw it coming, and and if there was a second viable candidate and a second candidate who had a great season, uh, it felt like the the public and the and the voters were going to go for it. And for to Brady's credit, he had a great season, like you said. Two yards shy of fifteen hundred rushing and twenty yards shy of two thousand from scrimmage is a great season. Uh, it's it tops anything Andrew Harris had done just on a pure numbers basis here in Winnipeg. So uh, that's that's where we end up going. This is something we've seen in other leagues too, and I think especially in the NBA because the the threshold of excellence when you've won it a year or two in a row is just so much higher. We saw this with Nikola Jokic this past year. After winning two in a row, Joel Embiid got it, even though you could argue Jokic had just as good a season as he did the previous two, but yep. he had just won it twice already. So that threshold you have to hit to win it a third year in a row, you have to be so ungodly good, as opposed to just flushing the season and looking at it in a vacuum. But that, that's not what happens, right? People don't just look at a season in a vacuum. They compare it to the past, fair or unfair. Yeah, and it, it's totally unfair because they're the only person. And we saw the same thing with Stanley Bryant in, in past seasons as well. Uh, I'm just Googling up to make sure I have the right year. It was 2019. I believe that he lost the uh, the most outstanding offensive yeah. lineman award it was to Chris Van Zyl of the Ticats. torched in the Great Cup. And and that whole season, I, I just couldn't believe as, as the voting was approaching. I'm like, really? People are going for Van Zyl over the year Bryant had? And I, I just couldn't I couldn't get it. But that was going to be three in a row for Stanley Bryant. And people just, I, I feel like by one vote, people went Van Zyl. And I i just felt like that was voter fatigue. Even last year, well, Stanley wasn't as good as he was the year before. Well, that's not the criteria though, right? It's not, it's not the criteria. Stanley can be worse than he was last year and still be the best player in the league. That Those things are entirely possible. Same for Zach. He can still be worse than last year, if you believe that, and and still the best player in the league. So we're not putting everybody, he would be the only guy we're comparing to himself. We wouldn't be asking, okay, well, pretend it's offensive lineman this year. Dejon Allen of Toronto, well, you weren't as good as Stanley Bryant last year, so you can't win the award. Well, how come Stanley has to face that? How come Zach has to face that that impossible standard of the year before? It just, it's It's one of the... You'll notice it throughout the time that we as voters kind of fail in spots where a guy wins most outstanding special teams player in the league, but he wasn't the all-star in his division. And you go, okay, well, I think we blew it on that one. There's These come up every year and they're always, you just have to, as a voter, make sure that you're doing the best job you can. So of the Blue Bomber Award winners, Oliveira for Outstanding Canadian and Outstanding Player, Jefferson, most outstanding defender. You've got Sergio Castillo as the top special teamer, Jamison Sheehan, the top rookie, and Jamarcus Hardrick, the top O-lineman. How many of them do you think have a chance to win the division award and then a league-wide award? I think um, I think uh, Brady's going to get beat out in most outstanding player. I think that's going to end up being Vernon Adams in B.C., and I'm I'm curious to dive into that just to see what kind of season Vernon did have. Canadian is the one where he's got a real shot. Like Matthew Betts having 18 sacks is a, that's an that's a fantastic number. It's the most by a Canadian ever, as folks know. It's the most in the CFL since 2015 for any player. Like it was fantastic. And sure, he had a little lull in the middle, but 
18 sacks is 18 sacks as it comes with a lot of quarterback pressures as well. Like he, he was fantastic this season, but I think that's the best shot they have. Offensive linemen, I don't know where they're I don't know where they're gonna go with that. Maybe they take Jarrell Broxton to BC, but then Winnipeg will think, well, didn't we goon that guy in the in the deciding game? And the answer to that will be yes. Rookie Jamison Sheehan's a, a punter that hurts him, and Kai Gray in Edmonton seems like the one there. He ended up as a full-time starter at defensive back. So though no rookie may have really pop off the page in the West, I think it's probably Kai Gray in Edmonton. And then special teams player, Sean White is ridiculous this season. He his kicking season. I just I do a thing. We've talked about this before, I assume. I just do a thing where you compare the yardage of a kick to every other kick that's been done from that distance, and you can get how much better or worse he is than the league average. Uh, Sean White's season is better than anyone Justin Medlock ever had. It's it's crazy oh, wow. how, how good he's been. I think it's 43 of 46, and if I'm not mistaken, he's missed one convert. Like He's just hammering everything for BC. And you can't say, hey, it's easier to kick indoors because that's proven out to be over time that BC place is just a middle-of-the-road stadium for kickers. Like, Sean White has been phenomenal this year, and he should he should take that one going away versus Paredes versus Sheehan versus Adam Corsack and the like. So, yeah, uh, I, I think Brady, as most outstanding Canadian, is, is Bombers fans' best hope. And then you don't think Willie I, – I, I think Betts gets defensive – top defensive player in the West, right? I would. Yeah, I can't even, I mean, 18 sacks. Like um, if there are other guys that you'd argue, okay, well, he plays poorly against the run. Like BC's not a bad team against the run. They're number three in the league in yards per allowed against the run. I don't know how Betts does in that one particularly, but some defenses are set up to let guys rush. And if you rush, can you get home to the quarterback? And he got there 18 times plus, tackles for a loss so he's he's got to be the favorite Willie season I mean there was a dry spell for sacks in the middle but Willie again leads the league in pass knockdowns which are a very valuable play in my books he gets double digit sacks uh his quarterback pressure numbers I'm, I'm just gonna guess are top four in the CFL right so yeah it was another fantastic season for Willie but I, I think something like like 18 sacks is just such a big number that I think that one is going to get away. And we could end up with a, a great cup and the Bombers are in it and they have maybe one award winner with Brady Oliveira. Yeah, maybe none. Canadian. Maybe wouldn't none. Wouldn't that be and weird? That, that would be a motivating factor. As, as much as they wouldn't admit it, we know it would be for that team in Hamilton. Derek, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and uh, have a good call Friday. Thanks, brother. Voice of the Bombers, Derek Taylor, the Calgary Stampeders host the Bombers Friday at 8 o'clock. Our pregame coverage starts at 6. <laughs> Here to look back and ahead is J.B. Bettens, former commissioner of the MJBL and our baseball correspondent on the show. Let's start with what happened last night, J.B., really the last two days in Philly. How surprised are you that the Phillies just couldn't get it done at home? Absolutely shocked. Um, I, I, I thought, you know, Atlanta in our last call uh, or Philly, if they were to get by Atlanta, was just going to run through everybody. And, you know, Houston with their pedigree was maybe going to take it in the AL. And uh, the apple cart was absolutely upset here to see Arizona kind of band together and do what they're doing. It, it's it's a fun storyline, but certainly not expected in the least. So how were they able to do it? For me, uh, the way I look at it is small ball, right? In the postseason, 
great bullpen and small ball against a team that seemed to kind of live or die by the home run. Is that how you view it too? Yeah, a lot of execution has to happen, and and they play like a team more than anybody else. Texas relies a little bit more on the long ball, which could make this a very interesting series, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. But um, definitely small ball and execution, and uh, they're they're playing for their manager right now. He seems to just press all the right buttons, and uh, and this has them right where he needs them. And rookie of the year, Corbin Carroll, who didn't really do anything for the first six games. He goes three for four, has a couple stolen bases, a couple runs, a couple RBI, the whole kind of package. And when when they score first, they win, They won every game that they scored first in in that series. And, you know, when Philly ties it up with the Bohm home run and, and Suarez is getting out, I'm thinking, all right, well, now Philly's going to put it together. But they just wouldn't go away and their, their bullpen – full of guys that I didn't know, plus Paul Seawald, who came over from the Mariners. When that trade happened at the deadline, it's like, all right, these are two teams that probably aren't in the playoffs making a trade here, but here they are. Paul Seawald has been awesome, and they're going to the World Series. Absolutely. it's Like I said, it's a fun story to watch, and, and there's going to be more and more people rooting for the Diamondbacks than ever before. And, you know, you, you look at that that series, and, and the big bats of the Phillies just didn't show up when they needed it. And Maybe it's because they were looking for the long ball when they should have been looking to play a little bit smaller and move a few guys over. And, uh, you know, you just see those final daggers in the coffin from Arizona. And it's it was base hits up the middle. It was Ketel Marte, you know, going, you know, 14 or 15 straight games with with base hits, not now. home runs. 16 now. Correction. Thank you. It's insane. Um, and it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And, and they're just fine with, with playing that way, provided the pitching holds up. And it's not household names exactly, and but they're doing it, and and that's great to just show, you know, the baseball people and the the fans out there what 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 can happen when you band together as a team. Cattell Marte has played in 16 playoff games. He has a hit in all of them. It's wild. And before we move off from the Diamondbacks, and yes, the 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 top three in the order, the the former Nationals and Schwarber, Turner, and Harper. I think they went one for 20 in games six and seven, which is just completely unacceptable. Uh, you, as a Blue Jays fan, and we talked a bit about this last time you were on, seeing Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. be very impactful in this series, two guys that were traded in the Dalton Varsha trade. I saw Ross Atkins' name was trending on Twitter last night, not for good reasons. How do you feel about seeing them succeed now in Arizona less than a year after the Varsha trade was made? I think it's very hard to judge um, what you have versus what a player could be. And, 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 and I kind of take that to the catcher versus catcher trade. You know, Danny Jansen has proved himself, albeit injury prone and, and probably deserve the opportunity to stay. I don't know if they would have predicted Moreno to come out quite like this. Uh, he didn't necessarily do that when he was called up, but those circumstances were different. Um, so the Moreno one looks like a bit of a sore, sore miss at this point. Um, the Guriel piece, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, we're seeing him in the playoffs and he's a part of kind of a spoke in the wheel here, but I, I like Varsho over that, but the Moreno thing irks me a little bit because, you know, we're getting to see what maybe we could have had. And, and, and that's tough on a GM. I would side with Atkins there because he went with, you know, the two catcher system rather than bring up the young guy. Um, but again, you know, if you look at salary cap and not necessarily a cap, but you look at salaries and things like that. And he'll probably move one of those catchers in the next two years. And, you know, what could happen and what could be if, if Moreno was the guy. 
he's 23, turns 24 in February. So he's still so young. But so that's Arizona, 84 wins. They get into the World Series. Texas, 90 wins. They get into the World Series in a series that the home team never won. And you could kind of see it coming. I, I At least I did. After Texas won games one and two, I thought this isn't over. Houston dominates them in Arlington, and they dominated them in Arlington. But when it goes back to, to uh, Houston, I'm thinking, well, this isn't over either because Houston sucks at home. And it's kind of staggering, but it, it, it those both held true. Texas wins game six and seven, both with pretty big scores. And a lot of these games weren't actually all that close, but... What does it say about a team that it's able to go on the road and win game six and seven? I guess this applies to both teams in Arizona and Texas. But for Texas, after the absolute gut punch that was the end of game five, to be able to rally from that and really not miss a beat, that says a lot about this group. It certainly does. It probably says speaks volumes about Bruce Bochy as a manager and the fact that he's been there and is able to navigate that and say, you know, he's probably gone back to three or four different occasions that he could rely on and say, we've been in this situation before. Here's how we navigate it, you know, and, and it becomes a little bit cliche, like where it's one pitch at a time, one game at a time. Um, and, and that's really how it looks like they treated it. And, you know, they were putting in, you know, Heaney coming out of the bullpen as a starter, you know, they had him ready and they were, they were doing just the little things right. That gave the team enough confidence to say, we're here, we can do this. And once they got that, first taste of it uh, you know game seven to me was a foregone conclusion at that point because of houston's uh, abysmal record at home it was tough to see that yeah and it got out of hand quickly and adolis garcia who was the principal uh player in game five and getting hit and then he goes over he strikes out four times he's just swinging for the fences in game six but then he connects on a grand slam he dominates game seven and i think for baseball fans that haven't they're a bit more like me that are maybe more October watchers than all the season through. I didn't know a lot about the Rangers and the Diamondbacks going in, but these teams are fun to watch. Absolutely. I, I like the construction of both lineups and it says something to where baseball may be headed. You know, when it comes to luxury taxes and things like that, you, you need good young players to come through your system and be a part of the big league team. If you're going to have a degree of success, Yes, you can, you know, rely on the names like Garcia and and what have you. And, and, you know, in Houston, there's so many different players, but it's also about those young players. It's the Jonah Heim. It's those other players who are younger and just have that opportunity to um, really kind of help a team when they need it. You know, and, and Texas is doing it with two or three guys that really don't have a lot of experience. Arizona, kind of the same. And it's almost like they're naive to the moment and so the pressure is not getting to them for that reason evan carter another of the young players on that team but you also have to mention that they did go out and spend a bunch of money on Corey seager they spent on Degrom, who's not healthy they spent on marcus simeon this is a team that isn't just young guys right they went out and spent a, a good amount of money the fourth highest payroll this year in baseball so we shouldn't forget that uh, but then compare that to Arizona, who had the 21st highest payroll in Major League Baseball. I think it applies to them more so. 119 million. Texas is at 251. So this team did go out and spend, and and that shouldn't be overlooked. But it worked. It worked. Yeah, and you have to wonder. You know, there's certainly a lot of chatter around the Blue Jays and analytics and whether things went right or wrong for them. 
And you, you have to wonder what the approaches are of both those organizations. Obviously, Texas wasn't afraid to spend money. Uh, Arizona did in the right places. Um, you know, maybe analytics played a part there, and there's a positive to be said for that. Um, it, it's tough to tell right now, but they made some good moves at the deadline. You noted Steve Seawald and a few other players like that. So you, you have to kind of give credit to the GM and, and to the manager for really bringing them together as a team. I think. You know, they may not be the odds-on favorite, but I think they're the fan favorite, certainly, at this point. So we've got Texas versus Arizona. TV ratings are probably going to suck. I don't care. You've either got a team that's never won before in the, the Rangers or this underdog story that is only possible because of the new playoff structure. This is the second straight year that the National League rep in the World Series was the number six seed. Phillies were last year. Texas also... The fifth seed could have only gotten in had they won the wild card game in the previous format as the five seed. What baseball has done in creating this new structure is make it more like the NHL playoffs where random results happen more often, right? When only four teams got in, yeah, the best teams usually got there. But now you have more chaos. And I think there was some resistance to that when all the top seeds lost early. And it is just one season. But do you think baseball's okay? With having more chaos and see, and teams seeing, hey, all we need to do is get into that sixth spot and we can make some noise. I, I think baseball loves it that way. I think the fans do. I think the owners may get a little bit more heartburn from it, uh, as well as the GMs. But I think for the most part, everyone loves it because you back that baseball calendar up a little bit and you you go back to that trade deadline there's so many more teams involved so your trade deadline is more active which is you know even great for the teams that are letting go of premier players to fuel up these teams that are going on these runs because they get better prospects or they have more opportunities to kind of retool which only adds to the parity of the overall picture of major league baseball and so that's when you see teams come from 54 and 64 win seasons and and now are in the world series because they were able to retool albeit spend a lot of money and write a lot of checks but teams are now showing that you know you can you can just take an off season now literally to retool and put your team in it and put more fans in the seats create more revenue opportunities and 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 make more of a a special situation around your franchise it, it i love it um i love the october baseball and i think that that's where you know, baseball really starts to breed, you know, more fan viewership and hopefully they can retain them because they see some of these new superstars come alive. All right. So the time of the program, what is your prediction? Who wins? How many games? Well, I, I don't feel like I've been very successful this year. But I <laughs> You're don't not know alone. I don't think anyone had this. this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder if home field advantage finally has something for Texas here. Um, but both pitching staffs, you know, went to game sevens. They're all kind of worn down and used. I'm wondering now if it leads to, you know, how well someone like Max Scherzer can can pitch his way out of it. I, I didn't like the way he pitched in the last two starts uh, or any appearances rather in this series. So I wonder if Arizona has a chance here and just kind of keeps the magic going. I don't think we've seen enough from their top two starters, and I have a feeling they may bounce back and uh, upset the world. So I, I don't know if I'm going with my uh, my heart here or if I'm just going with pure desire to see the underdog, but I, I think I'm going to take Arizona and I'll probably take them in in uh, seven games. I think this wow. could be a long one. That'd be a classic after a weird start to the postseason. The first the wild card round of the DS rounds weren't very good, but 
last round was awesome and i hope this round is too jamie appreciate your time thanks for this as always thanks you too take care jamie bettens as we talk about the world series which starts friday in arlington well thank you very much for listening to the cjob sports show podcast if you like what you heard guess what you can hear more every weeknight on cjob from 6 30 to 9 p.m thanks again for tuning in subscribe if you'd like we're available on itunes and other places i'd imagine so farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you of the deal. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect. For all the natural wonders and more. How do you swap, swap, and waste for all the For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.